This is the 27th of last seed, the year of Akatosh 433. These are the closing days of the third era and the final hours of my life. This is the Falcon Twin Podcast from falcontwin.com. I'm Brendan, and this is a special installment, the Elder Scrolls IV Oblivion Review Extravaganza. I should begin with a little confession here. I pretty much lost an entire summer to Elder Scrolls III Morrowind. Not the entire summer, but several weeks of it. It came out in 2002, and for a few weeks during that summer, play Morrowind was pretty much all I did. I'd get up, I'd go get breakfast, and I'd come back and say to myself, well, I'll play a little bit of Morrowind. And so then I would play it, and I'd play it, and the day would go by, and it'd get into the afternoon, into the evening, and I'd say, well, you know, I guess I should have dinner. And so I'd have dinner. Dinner would be over, it'd be dark, and I'd say to myself, well, you know, the day's already shot, I guess I'll play some more Morrowind. So I played Morrowind until late at night, and then I would go to bed and pretty much do the same thing. And that was pretty much all I did for weeks and weeks during that summer. And so when Oblivion came out, I was really wondering whether it was going to live up to the standard set by that particular game. Obviously now, I have other things to do with my time, so I can't really sit and play it all day long. But I could certainly see myself doing so if I didn't have other things to do. As to the question of whether Oblivion would live up to the standard set by Morrowind, the short answer is, yes it does, and then some. My main character now is at something around 70 hours playing time, mainly thanks to Spring Break, which meant that I didn't have any class last week. The game is averaging a score of around 94 on Metacritic for both the PC and the Xbox 360 versions. The Xbox 360 version has the highest rating of any game on that platform, and the all-time number 10 rating on the PC, which is pretty darn impressive. On ShackNews.com, they've had a discussion thread for the game every single day since it was released, which is also quite unprecedented. Now, an introduction to the game for those of you who aren't familiar. Oblivion and the entire Elder Scrolls series are basically MMORPGs without the MMO. So pretty much it's everything that you would like about an MMO with the really bad part removed, all the other players. It's a relentlessly single-player series. They've been asked repeatedly whether or not they're going to add multiplayer, and they've repeatedly said that they're not going to. If anything, they would probably add cooperative multiplayer, and even that's pretty unlikely. It's not what they do, it's not what they're into, and they don't seem to have that on their slate anytime soon. The whole point of the Elder Scrolls series is that it's basically a big fantasy sandbox. You get in there, and they give you all the tools that you would expect to find in a fantasy game, and they just say, go nuts. You can pretty much do whatever you want to do. You can be a melee character, you can use magic, you can go around in stealth and attack people like an assassin, you can be an archer, or you can be a mixture of all of the above. As a matter of fact, it's not uncommon to have most characters have a, a combination of skills. They'll have melee, but they'll have some magic, they might take alchemy, they might take sneak. It's really, in a lot of ways, more of a role-playing game than 99% of other RPGs, because in 99% of other RPGs, they already made your character. So you're only playing a role that someone's already built. But in the Elder Scrolls games, your character is what you make it, and you actually get to decide what your character is going to be like. The downside of all this freedom is that you really don't get the kind of cohesive story that you might get in something like Knights of the Old Republic which has a really good story told from the good side, a really good story told from the bad side, and you sort of have a little bit of choice of what you're going to be, but not in the same way that you have in Oblivion. But again, the downside is that with that kind of freedom, the story gets to be a little bit sort of 
not as well developed as you would get in a more linear game. The whole Elder Scrolls series is basically, if you haven't played it, similar to GTA. You can do the main quest and it's always there for you. And in a way you have to be a little bit more careful than Grand Theft Auto because you can break some quests if you kill the wrong person. Although in the case of Oblivion, none of the main quests. But otherwise, if you don't feel like doing the main quest, you can just wander off and pretty much do whatever you want, just like in the GTA series. And there's really little to no pressure in the game to go ahead and, and do the main quest. There are definitely incentives to do it. You get rewards and you accomplish certain things that will be very useful. But there's really nothing to stop you from just heading off in a direction and seeing what's out there. And because of the way that the game levels all the content, which I'll talk a little bit more about later, there's really no concern about running into a dungeon where everything's going to absolutely whip your ass and you're going to get killed repeatedly trying to accomplish anything. Moreover, Oblivion improves on Morrowind with quest pointers that are going to tell you where to go next so you don't get lost. Morrowind's quest journal was pretty awful. As a matter of fact, it was basically just a collection of all the quest-related things that people had ever said to you in reverse chronological order. There was no sorting by which quest they were for, there was no sorting by where you got them or who said it to you. It was basically entirely worthless. They tried to fix it a little bit in some of the expansions, but it never really was all that good. The Oblivion quest system is a whole lot better. There's still a couple of things wrong with it, which I'll talk about. But otherwise, it's a huge improvement, and it makes getting things done in the game a whole lot easier. And for people who need a little bit more direction with what they're doing, it gives that to them. So let me start with the game's graphics. The graphics in Oblivion are, in a word, stellar. Unlike Morrowind, which was mostly gray and brown, it's actually green, which is kind of nice to see. If you have a really, really beefy system on your computer, then you can pick up the PC version. If not, you should probably get the Xbox 360 version. As I said before, it's probably going to cost less to buy an Xbox 360 than to upgrade your system to play Oblivion, if it can't already. And if you do have a beefy PC, then that's probably the version you want to get, because you can get a whole bucket load of mods for the game, which will change nearly everything you can think of and fix the bugs that are in the game. The Xbox 360 version does look spectacular, and to get a PC that's going to run it at that level of detail might be expensive. The Xbox 360 version has HDR lighting, anti-aliasing, has bloom. It's difficult to get both HDR lighting and anti-aliasing to run at the same time on the PC. I think one of the ATI boards has a driver beta that might do it, but otherwise the only way you're going to get both of those things on the same one is to play the Xbox version. The draw distance is a massive improvement over Morrowind. It's probably one of the biggest graphical changes and, and biggest improvements for immersion, at least for me, in the game. On the Xbox version of Morrowind, the draw distance was about 100 yards, and I'm really not exaggerating. It was extremely short. In the case of Oblivion, you can actually see all the way to the Imperial City from way up in the mountains, miles away. Part of the problem that was causing the draw distance in Morrowind to be so bad is that they were using this game engine called uh, NDL. I think it's for Netimmerse Development Library or something. It was the Netimmerse engine, which they're still using for Oblivion, but somehow they seem to have gotten around the draw distance problems. And they were problems that were endemic to that engine, not Morrowind specifically, because other games like Dark Age of Camelot, which still use the Netimmerse engine, also have a draw distance of about 150 feet. It's extremely awful. And it's not a great engine for scaling either, at least with Dark Age of Camelot. I had an old system that I would run it on, and I also tried Anarchy Online on that system, and they both ran not so great. 
And then when I upgraded my system and got a, a new fancy system with a new fancy video card, Anarchy Online was running at 60 frames per second at 1600 by 1200, and Dark Age of Camelot was still running around 15-20 frames per second. The new video card and the better system didn't really improve the performance at all, but for whatever reason they were able to manage to optimize the engine quite a bit for Oblivion, and it runs a lot better. The frame rate isn't completely stable on the Xbox version, and it's probably even less stable on the PC version. But fortunately, they don't actually slow down when the frame rate drops, so it just gets a little bit choppier, and it's not really a problem. The textures in the game aren't really handled all that well. They get very low res very quickly. The anisotropic filtering seems to have been completely disabled. When the textures are up close, they look fine. When the textures are way off in the distance, they look fine. But in the mid-ground, they're really kind of muddy, and there's not enough foliage or haze or anything to obscure how bad they really look. And there's some mods on the PC version that try to address this with mixed results. I haven't been too impressed with any of the screenshots I've seen. The foliage in the game, all the detail, grass and stuff, does fade in pretty obviously if you look for it. To be honest, I never really notice it, but I know a lot of people have complained about it. It doesn't bother me. The game uses SpeedTree to do all of its trees. Uh, SpeedTree is a pretty good looking system. It's not perfect. It does have its points where it falls apart. Basically, it uses a whole bunch of sprites that are very complex and, and kind of hopes you won't notice. And most of the time you won't notice. The only time you'll really see how it kind of falls apart is if you're standing underneath the tree and then you rotate the view around. You can really see how they're using sprites on everything. The water in the game isn't really incredible, but it looks pretty nice. It doesn't reflect uh, trees or characters, and I don't think it reflects buildings either, although maybe it reflects large buildings like the Imperial City. It's not as great as some of the other water that you've seen, especially water in something like, I think Far Cry has uh, really great water in the new version for the Xbox 360. It doesn't look that good in Oblivion, but it certainly doesn't look awful, and especially when you get the environmental conditions right on a beautiful sunset or something, it looks pretty spectacular anyway. The Havoc physics that they integrate into the game is, is kind of fun, particularly when you've killed a character who's a complete asshole, and you will. You can strip them naked and put them into compromising positions, like take female bandits and put them in lesbian positions on a bed, which if you don't know what I'm talking about, then you should go look at the forums and see the link to that image. The flip side of the Havoc engine is that placing items is very difficult now, compared to Morrowind, which really didn't have much of a physics engine at all. In Morrowind, if you wanted to drop something, you targeted a point on the ground and you dropped the item and it would go exactly where you set it. In Oblivion, that doesn't really happen. When you drop an item, it drops from where your cursor is, which means that it's probably going to drop from somewhere in midair, which means that getting things actually organized, if you have a house or something, is kind of difficult, which is not such a problem because in Oblivion, unlike Morrowind, the cabinets and drawers and cupboards and things like that have for what appears to be unlimited capacity to store stuff now. In Morrowind, there was a limit on how much stuff you could put in a cupboard, so you sort of, if you had a home, and I had a home full of all kinds of garbage, you had to have it eventually placed out all over the, the room. In Oblivion, that doesn't seem necessary, so not being able to drop items precisely in place is a little bit less of an issue. I also imagine it's quite a bit easier on the PC, because you got the mouse to control it with. More things on the physics, watching bodies roll down a hill is pretty satisfying. Especially also when you kill a character, they go flying sort of in the direction that you that you killed them. So if you swing from right to left with your sword and that kills the character, they're going to go ragdoll and then go flying from right to left in the same manner that you hit them. Sometimes the physics engine gets itself in trouble and has a little bit of difficulty finding a solution, so you'll see something jittering back and forth between 
two states while the physics engine just sort of freaks out about what to do with it. That's pretty rare. I've only seen it a couple of times. More graphics stuff. Oblivion uses all the nifty pixel shaders you could possibly want. A great example of this is the stones that you see in the first cell in the very beginning of the game when you're in prison. All those stones don't actually exist in 3D. They're just textures. Now, I don't know, maybe this is obvious to everyone, and you know, I knew that it was that doing that, but it's still pretty impressive that you can actually get such a 3D looking effect from a completely flat texture using all the nifty new pixel shaders that people are using now. And of course, besides that, there's also bump mapping on pretty much everything, specular mapping, and all sorts of other things, the reflections and refractions, really nice refractions effects. The oblivion gates look really awesome. They sort of shimmer and ripple and distort the things that are behind them. So altogether, there's a few rough edges in the graphics, but the whole is so much more than some of the parts that the total effect is, is really staggeringly good, and it's incredibly easy to overlook the few things that don't work so well. Now I'll talk about the sound. The music in the game was done by Jeremy Soule, who has done a whole bunch of other games, uh, in addition to Morrowind and Guild Wars. I think he also did Dungeon Siege. He's very well known in the game industry. Some of the music in the game is really great. Uh, most of it is just average, and some of it is entirely uninteresting, particularly the battle music. I can kind of understand because the battle music has to go on for a long time, potentially, so it can't be too wacky and out there if it's going to have to repeat for you know 10 minutes. But at the same time, it, it's sort of, I'd rather just not have it at all, really. The music that I really like is they have this chorus or chorus-like music when you first exit the sewers at the very beginning of the game and it really sort of drives home the majesty of the world that you're in and also is sort of appropriately solemn to reflect the death of the Emperor. I don't know if that was intentionally done that way but it, it certainly suits it. And when you come out of the sewers at the beginning of the game it's early afternoon and so it's at the perfect time. You're in the very nice area of the game. You're in the Imperial City Isle where it's all green and there's all trees and it's beautiful and you know the sun starts to set and the colors get really saturated and it just looks absolutely spectacular and that's one of the times the music really just absolutely takes the thing and pushes it right over the top. The PC version if you don't like the music you can drop mp3s into the folders underneath the uh, I guess it's a music folder and I think the 360 version also supports playing your own music off of an iPod or whatever you have. As far as the voice acting goes, Patrick Stewart is really great. He isn't really actually there for too terribly long. I read a rumor somewhere that they paid him $300,000 to do the voice acting. I don't know if that's true, but if it is, I think it was way too much. It's not that I think that Patrick Stewart I am cute as a ball. There are lights. didn't do a good job. He did a great job, as he always does but he really is only in the game for maybe an hour tops and doesn't speak all that many lines. So I think they probably could have found uh, some other people to do a very good job and not had to spend all that money. And I think that with that extra money that they saved, they could have probably hired a few more voice actors. One thing you'll notice as you play Oblivion is that a lot of the voice actors end up getting reused and reused a lot. And it's not really so much of a problem because you can kind of understand you know, where they're coming from, where they have to record so much dialogue. But the problem is that even people who do the voices of the main characters also do voices for the random NPCs that really have no importance to the story at all. And it's sort of disconcerting to be listening to a character who has no relation to the main quest all of a sudden start speaking in the voice of Joffrey, who is one of the characters in the main quest, and it doesn't seem quite right. 
At the very least, I think they probably should have taken the main characters and segregated them and made their lines only for them, but I guess that wasn't in the cards. It's hard to be too tough on Bethesda on this particular point because every single line of dialogue in the game is spoken. Every single one of them. And that's quite a feat when you consider just how much dialogue there actually is in the game. It's not just a couple of you know lines with particularly important cinemas or anything like that. Every time a person talks to you, they're actually talking to you. And they have lip sync too, which is not wonderfully good lip sync, but it's certainly uh, better than nothing. It's better than Half-Life at the very least. But still, it is a little bit uncanny how you know every male Red Guard sounds the same, every female Khajiit sounds the same, every female Argonian sounds the same. It would be nice if they had a little bit more variety in the voices. Another thing on this point is that the character voices also change depending on what choice you choose in dialogue. So that you can go up to a beggar and talk to him and he can be a poor old man who just wants a coin. And then you can give him a coin and he goes, thank you kind lady. Which doesn't make a whole lot of sense that the voice changes so much. Another thing that's sort of related is that the player voices don't necessarily match your character. You can have a really young looking character and the voice can be a really sort of mature, older sounding person and it doesn't quite jive with, with the look and the sound. You don't actually ever get to see your character all that much anyway, so I guess it's not too much of an issue. The only time you see your character is when you switch to third person, which probably most people don't use since it's not all that great. You don't have the crosshair in third person. And the other time you can see your character is on the inventory screen, which is kind of nice, but ultimately you don't get to spend a lot of time staring at your character. The environmental sounds in the game are good. Nothing really remarkable. Thunder sounds like thunder rain sounds like rain and incredibly stormy weather sounds like it. I'll talk about the gameplay now. First and foremost, the Dark Brotherhood quests in the game are absolutely awesome and the rewards are spectacular. So if you do one line of quests in the entire game, you should do the Dark Brotherhood. There are a bunch of different lines of quests. If you're playing on the Xbox 360, most of the major ones are associated with, with achievement points. There's the Fighters Guild, there's the Mages Guild, you can do quests in the arena, there is the Dark Brotherhood, the Thieves Guild, and I think there's one or two others that slipped my mind at the moment. I've done the Thieves Guild, the Dark Brotherhood, the arena, I've done a bit of the Fighters Guild, which isn't so great, and I've done a little bit of the Mages Guild, which hasn't really done much for me either. But the Thieves Guild isn't bad, the quest reward at the very end of it is really nice, and the arena isn't bad either, it's kind of fun, and you can do it at a fairly low level too, so it's not something you have to uh, to worry about. Speaking of the leveling system, it's something that a lot of people have really had issues with. If you're going to do the main quest, you should definitely do up through Kvatch, which is basically the first city and the first Oblivion Gate, as early as you possibly can, because a lot of people who leveled up found that they were in a situation where fighting through Kvatch was extremely difficult. The way the system in Oblivion works is that it adjusts the levels of the monsters that you're fighting to match your character level, and plus or minus some amount based on the monster that you're fighting. The thing about that is that in Kvatch, the guards that are supposed to assist you apparently don't level as much as you do and the monsters do, which means that they basically just get obliterated right away. Now the thing about the leveling system, and some people have complained about this, is that really one of the best ways to power level in the game is to not actually level up at all. The way that you do this is you pick skills that you're never going to use as your major skills, which means that all the skills like blade or block, skills that you actually use, won't level you up. What happens is when your major skills level up, you have seven major skills, 
when you increase those by a total of 10 points, you gain a level. Well, if your major skills are skills that you never use, then you never level up. But you can still increase the skills that you're using by using them. So even if, for instance, alchemy isn't one of my major skills, I can still increase that. Well, what people do is they take all the skills that they're actually using, they leave them as minor skills, and they just increase those gradually over time. So even though they're still level 1, they'll have skill levels of a person who's level 10 or level 20, which means that their skills are going to be way above what the monsters they're fighting will have. I don't think that's really a great way to do it. It works, it's effective, and it's been like that since Morrowind, as far as I can tell. But it's probably better just to, uh, to level up like you normally would. Pick major skills that make sense to you. If you're a sword fighter, then pick the blade major skill. And if you start to get into trouble, then crank down the difficulty slider. It's kind of funny to see how many people are introducing mods for the game that basically decrease the difficulty without having to actually turn the difficulty slider down. It's almost as if people sort of feel guilty about turning down the difficulty slider like it's an admission of failure or something. But really, you know, get over it. Just turn the difficulty slider down. You only need to bump it down by, you know, 5 or 10% is more than enough, and you'll be fine. The power curve seems to dip downwards in the teens, so from level 10 to level 20 you're going to feel weaker than you are at level you know, 20 and up. My main character is level 25, and at this point I'm feeling pretty tough, even though I have the difficulty almost at, you know, at the midpoint. One thing that I do dislike about the leveling system is the way that the guards automatically level up with you. One thing that was particularly fun for me in Morrowind was basically becoming a walking god and slaughtering the guards by the hundreds. But in Oblivion they level up and I think they're always 10 to 15 levels above your character. Which doesn't mean that you can't kill them, as a matter of fact, you know, by the time you're in your mid-twenties killing them isn't all that hard. But it's still sort of frustrating that basically you're given this game and told, hey, go do whatever you want, and then they sort of quietly to themselves whisper, you know, unless you're doing something we don't want you to do. There are also weird quirks with the with the guards themselves, such as if you kill them you get an automatic bounty on your head, even if you do it in secret. Now normally in Oblivion, if you commit a crime and no one sees you, well then you don't get blamed for it. But in the case of killing guards, for whatever reason, you still get blamed for it, even if they're completely alone. Generally speaking though, I do like the leveling system. It also, items themselves scale too, I should point that out as well. So if you get a sword, it's not going to be a god sword. Like when I first had Morrowind, the Daedric Katana that I found at level 4 or 5 made me basically invincible because it did so much damage. Items aren't like that in, in Oblivion. They will scale to your level. So if you're high level, your sword can be very powerful. If you're low level, your sword will be equivalently weak. But generally speaking, I think that the leveling system is pretty good. It eliminates the issue of going somewhere and just getting absolutely destroyed and basically means that the entire game is open to you no matter what level you are, which I think is pretty good, especially in a game that is sort of encouraging you to go out and do whatever you want to do. As I've mentioned, the quest log is a lot better now. It still needs the ability to sort by location. This is something that most MMOs have had for years, where if you're in a certain city, you can say, well, what are all the quests that have something for me to do in the city? Oblivion doesn't have that, and it's something that's really kind of sorely needed. You can fast travel around the world, so it's not that big an issue, but it still is kind of tedious paging through your quest journal to find out what you can do while you're in the city that you're in. 
the quests have an arrow that points you to wherever you're going next. It's pretty much like Guild Wars. It just is an arrow on your compass that says go in this direction and your quest goal is there. The skill setup has been streamlined from Morrowind. I explained a little bit of it a few minutes ago. Basically there are a total of 21 skills. You pick seven major skills. Those skills are going to have an increase to their level of 10 points and then also any time you increase those skills by a total of 10 points then you gain a level and the other skills are still available to you they just start at a lower level and they don't increase as fast as your major skills the system has been streamlined a little bit from Morrowind in Morrowind you had major skills you had minor skills and then you had all your other skills and there were I think a total of 25 or so they got rid of some of them combined a few of them for instance, Morrowind had a medium armor skill, which has now been eliminated, and everything in it was moved either into light or heavy. And I think that the streamlined skill system is very good. It's simpler and still just as useful as Morrowind, and it didn't remove anything at all by streamlining it. The combat in the game can be a little bit frustrating sometimes, uh, particularly if you're fighting enemies that stagger you a lot. When you get hit by a monster that's particularly strong, your character will get staggered, and you lose control of the character for a few seconds. It's really not a lot of fun, and it's quite frustrating when it happens repeatedly, especially if it's, you seem unable to stagger the monsters yourself. It, it sort of seems unfair. And depending on how you feel like doing it, you can handle the combat, at least the melee combat, which is what I'm familiar with, in a couple of different ways. One option is to just you know blast right through it, swinging your sword as fast as you possibly can. The other alternative is to take your time with it and sort of get into the rhythm of the back and forth. So you, know, you do a strike or two, and then you block when the enemy is going to counterattack, and then you know once they've counterattacked, you attack back, and sort of you can get into that little back and forth rhythm, which is kind of entertaining. The game does seem to be best tuned for melee, although magic and archery still still do their job, and magic can be extremely powerful once you get up into the higher levels. And as I said, especially for the magic and archery people who do have more difficulty in their teen levels, it seems, turn down the difficulty slider a couple of ticks. You really you don't need to bring it down more than maybe 5% and that should bring everything back to kind of normalcy. Stealth in the game is a whole lot more fun than I really expected. My main character has stealth and I'm using it a whole lot. You get a massive damage bonus when you attack someone who hasn't detected you. It's six times the damage if you're in melee combat and it's three times the damage if you hit him with an arrow. So it's really worth doing if you can. Also it allows you to get around and do a bunch of stuff and, and steal things. If you're in the Thieves Guild it's pretty much necessary to do a lot of the quests and it actually is more fun than I would expect especially since I've tried to play stealth games in the past and I thought they were no fun at all. Now unlike Morrowind the developers of Oblivion are offering downloads this time for the game but they're charging. Now in Morrowind they did offer downloads for the game and you know, additional content but it was always free. In the case of Oblivion now they're actually asking money for it and the first item that they released was a pair of different types of horse armor and they charged for this $1.99 on the PC and they also charged 200 marketplace points which equates to $2.50 for the Xbox version and it was really interesting to see how people's attitude went from Bethesda's great to Bethesda's the devil almost overnight and I think what really people were mainly upset about was some people were upset with the whole being nickel and thymed for additional content and I can certainly understand that and I don't really feel like it you know getting charged for every little thing I want to add to my game either but I think that 
first of all, a game comes with a whole lot of content, so that's not so much of an issue. If it were a game that were being released, you know, incomplete and missing big features that they were then trying to sell you, that would be one thing, but this isn't the case here. The reason that I think a lot of people took particular umbrage to the $2.50 for the horse armor was that it was really pretty expensive for just some crappy horse armor. If it had been a couple of dungeons or a really big dungeon and a couple of quests associated with it, I doubt people would have cared all that much. But, you know, when you're getting a, a little tiny bit of content for $2.50, people were less than thrilled. And, you know, here's the thing. If you're thinking about getting the horse armor, don't. Just go through the Dark Brotherhood quest and you'll get something that will make up for it. There are a few pauses on the Xbox 360 version. It loads a little bit more than the PC version. It also, if you have the hard drive, it caches a lot of data to the hard drive, but that data can get fragmented. And so if your game starts to take a really long time to load stuff when you're switching around through the menus or changing locations, you hold down the A button on the system when you start it, and that will erase the cache, which will get rid of the fragmentation, obviously, although it will cause the load times to go back up again a little bit for a while. Now, lockpicking in the game is obviously part of the stealth system, and it's done really well. The game has locks that you can pick, and they can have up to five tumblers that you're going to have to lock into place. People seem to have a lot of difficulty with this system. I'm going to tell you really quickly how to do it. When you are using the lockpick to tap a tumbler into place, sometimes it just goes pick and it snaps right up to wherever it's going. And sometimes it goes pick, pick, and it goes up very slowly. Well, when it goes up slowly, that's when you want to lock it into place. And so you just keep tapping it up until it starts going up slowly, and then you lock it into place. And if you listen to the sounds, you'll notice that the sound is different. It makes a little click sound when it's going to go up really fast, and when it's going to go up slow, it makes a kind of double click, like a pick sound. And so if you listen for that, some people even do it with their eyes closed then you'll stop breaking lockpicks pretty much entirely. I know I did. And if you want to never break another lockpick again, go to the Shrine of Nocturne, which is northeast of Leowin, and then do that quest and you'll get an unbreakable lockpick, which also boosts your lockpicking skill by about 40 points and is really awesome to have. Finally, in the gameplay section, there are a few bugs in the game, which is not unexpected for a game that's this huge. There is a patch incoming on both the PC and the Xbox 360. Uh, I think that probably Microsoft would rather not have the 360 version patched, but you know, it's sort of inevitable. A couple of the bugs are fairly severe. One person who sells you the house in, I believe, Skingrad has a tendency to go die. And there's another bug which can cause your mercantile skill to get set to basically negative 100. Even though you can't see it, it shows up looking like it's normal. As a matter of fact, it actually gets set very, very low. The interface of the game is pretty much designed for a console. Period. Thanks, drive through. The developers, I'm sure, would say they built it with the PC in mind, but that's basically bullshit. It's a console interface. The controller works very well on the Xbox version. I don't know how the controller works on the PC version. I don't know if you can use a controller with the PC version, but if you can, that might be the way to go, because it's very uh, it's, it works very well with the controller, as Morrowind did too. You can scroll through stuff pretty quickly, flip through the menus and stuff. The only problem with navigating the interface, especially on the console, is that over time you're going to accumulate a whole bunch of stuff in your inventory, and scrolling through the entire inventory to get to it can take a long time. This is particularly bad because over time you'll accumulate a whole bunch of keys, 
and for some reason they placed tools that you actually use such as torches and lockpicks and repair hammers below all the keys which means that to get to all these tools you have to scroll through the 150 keys that you might have and that's sort of tedious the PC version in this case definitely has the advantage because of the scroll bars which you can just scroll like any other scroll bar on a computer I'll talk a little bit about the world now in some ways Tamriel which is the world of Elder Scrolls is, is a very generic fantasy world it has elves, it has dark elves, it has wood elves, it has orcs, it has lizard people, it has cat people. It's gotten a lot of the fantasy stereotypes. But in contrast to that, there's also a lot of unique lore in the game. So they have the Daedra, which all have their own unique stories. They've got other provinces in the game that all have their own sort of uh, political issues and relations with each other. And if you go and read the books in the game, there's a lot of backstory on this which is, makes it sort of a shame that they don't focus more on that. Uh, something that I always respected about Guild Wars and Asheron's Call too, uh, Asheron's Call also, was that the only races that you could play were humans. That They didn't really go into this sort of traditional stupid fantasy stuff. And as a matter of fact, Asheron's Call didn't have any traditional fantasy races. It just had you know humans and then a lot of monsters that you'd never seen anything else before. And it was pretty refreshing. Guild Wars does have dwarves, although you can't actually be a dwarf, and it does have some other stuff. But I think that at this point it's probably too late for them to change it for the Elder Scrolls games, but it would be nice to see them try to step away from the standard fantasy stuff a little bit more, especially since they've got so much of this world built that isn't the standard fantasy stuff that you think they should probably go all the way with that. A lot of the books in the game that I just mentioned have been carried over from Morrowind, including the lusty Argonian Maid, a perennial favorite, about polishing spears. There are a lot of other books that are pretty interesting if you want to get into the history of the world. If you don't, then you can ignore them almost completely, but you should be checking the books still. At the very least, just open them, because there are books that will actually increase your skills. You don't have to read through them. You just open the book and your skill goes up by a point. So keep an eye out for books that you haven't seen and open them up and maybe you'll increase your skills. I think I've increased mine about 18 points, you know, across a bunch of different skills by reading books. So, you know, it's worth keeping an eye out for. The aforementioned gigantic draw distance really helps place you in the world. In Morrowind, there are places that you would be staring at fog, whereas the same situation in Oblivion, you can see all the way down the mountain to the Imperial City and beyond. The entire game world in Oblivion is about 16 square miles, or so they say which is a little bit less than the 15,000 square miles of Elder Scrolls II Daggerfall, but I'd be willing to bet that the craftsmanship in Oblivion is a little bit higher than Daggerfall. The edge of the world, which is always sort of an interesting thing to go explore, is not handled so great in Oblivion. Basically, your character stops moving in the direction that you were going, and you get a message at the top of the screen that says, you cannot go any further, turn back. There are a couple of things that are weird. First of all, it implies that there are consequences to not turning back, but there aren't. You can just sit there, as far as I can tell, for as long as you want. Nothing's going to happen. And the other thing is that it would really be kind of nice if they would actually have had a natural barrier of some kind to stop you from going any farther. What I'm curious to know is how exactly people are going to be able to expand into that. The game of Morrowind took place on an island, and the outside of the island surrounding that was just water for infinity in every direction which meant that that's where all of the addition to the game that people were doing with the construction kit 
was going, all of the new content, new islands, and new dungeons people were putting into the game, a lot of that was going into the waters off of Vardenfell, which is the island in Morrowind. In the case of Oblivion, I don't know if you're actually able to start enabling the terrain around the borders, you know, where it says you can't go any further. I don't know if you're going to be able to turn that on or not, and I'm curious to see how exactly that turns out. Another point about the world is all the creatures there. Bethesda seems to have learned the lesson of Morrowind as far as cliff racers are concerned. If you haven't played Morrowind and don't know what cliff racers are, you should probably consider yourself lucky because cliff racers were one of the most obnoxious things ever put in any game at all. They were the only creatures in Morrowind that respawned after you killed them. And they were kind of these pterodactyl things that flew around and they would sort of swoop down to attack you, but they didn't really swoop down to attack you all that much. So basically, if you were a melee character, killing them was extremely difficult because, you know, you didn't have magic that you could kill them with. You didn't have the skill with the bow to kill them. And so basically you had to wait for them to come down. And if you didn't wait for them to come down, then the battle music was going on and on and on. And I think your running slowed down a little bit. And also you couldn't uh, rest and you couldn't... It was just very frustrating to have these creatures around. And as a matter of fact, almost the very first mod that came out for Morrowind eliminated cliff racers from the game entirely. I mean, people couldn't stand them. So Bethesda seems to have wisened up a little bit about that mistake. They don't have cliff racers in this game, but they do have monsters out in the wilderness that will attack you and your horse. Your horse can die unless you get a certain special horse. And not, even if you get the horse armor that you had to pay $2.50 for, your horse can still die, so bear that in mind. Moreover, the creatures in the game still aggro you from quite a long distance, and the game sort of can get itself into this mode where it thinks that you're being attacked, and you can't really see the monster that's attacking you. And while the monster is attacking you, uh, or while the game thinks the monster is attacking you, you can't fast travel, you can't rest, you can't do a lot of stuff, and it's very frustrating. I even got into a situation once where I was under attack, I went into a dungeon, and for the entire time that I was in the dungeon, the game thought I was under attack, even though there weren't any monsters around anywhere at all. And that was quite frustrating. It would have been nice if they had fixed that, but I guess not. There are a lot of dungeons to see in the world, and the loot in the dungeons scales appropriately, which is another reason to actually level up, because if you're staying at level 1 for the entire time you're playing the game, then you're never going to get anything really interesting, and there is a lot of really great stuff to get when you go into the dungeons at higher levels. They do get a bit repetitive. There are only a few different types, and at some point you're going to have seen all of them. So, for me anyway, I really only go into dungeons if there's a quest, and I get the feeling that not many people are going to bother to see every single one of the 200 plus dungeons in the game, because there really just isn't enough variety to keep it interesting. There are occasional impressive moments when you're down in a dungeon. I know that when I was on a later Thieves Guild quest, I came into this huge, wide, open cavern underground that I didn't expect because I didn't realize that they could do that. I thought I had seen almost all the underground cavern stuff that they had, but in fact, no, they had some tricks left up their sleeve yet. So it definitely is worth exploring, but like I said, the dungeons can get a little bit stale. By general agreement, the Oblivion Gates, for which the game is named, uh, suck. They're ugly, they're repetitive, they're not challenging. You have to close at least two or three of them during the course of the main quest. There are a whole bunch more. I mean, you could close dozens of them if you felt like it. The Oblivion Gates are 
where these really bad monsters are coming out and attacking the peaceful, happy world of Cyrodiil. Generally speaking, there's, they're not very appealing. They're ugly. They're all the same shade of red. They're very repetitive. They're not really all that challenging unless you crank the difficulty up and, you know, why would you? There is a little bit of good loot in them. Uh, certainly you can get nice swords off of the monsters there. There are some special alchemy ingredients that you can only get in the Oblivion Gates, at least as far as I know. And there are the sigil stones which you get at the end for closing the gate. And a little tip is when you are about to get the sigil stone, save, and then when you pick it up, look to see whether it's any good or not. Because each sigil stone has enchantments on it that you can place on an item. And if you get one that's got worthless enchantments, then, you know, reload your game and try again because it generates them randomly. But otherwise, I don't like spending a lot of time in the Oblivion Gates. Most people apparently don't. If you do finish the main quest, they all go away, so that's one option. The AI in the game is kind of interesting. It can cause NPCs to get killed, which is something that makes me a little paranoid because the very most important NPCs in the game can't be killed. They just uh, get knocked out unconscious and then they wake up again a minute or two later. But it is possible for NPCs that are related with quests to actually die, and so be aware of that. If you see the AI completely wigging out and people killing each other left and right in the streets, then you might want to go back to a save game before that happens and see if you can avoid it. It is also kind of annoying that the AI will go and sleep because sometimes you'll need to turn a quest in or something and the person will be locked inside their house asleep and the only way to go talk to them is to either break into their house, commit a crime, or to wait for hours and hours, which you can do fairly quickly but it's still less convenient than it could be. I noticed that a lot of people, at least in the discussion on the shack, have seen much more interesting behavior from the AI than I have. I suppose it's possibly because I don't try to do wacky, interesting stuff with the AI because I'm paranoid that it's going to break something later on down the road, hours and hours later, You know, at which point I'm certainly not going to go back. But I, I know people have given some interesting stories about the AI. Like I said, I haven't really seen it. The quest pointers in the game, if they send you to talk to a certain NPC, they are smart enough to update so that they'll tell you where the NPC actually is instead of saying, you know, go see Scriva in her home. And so the quest pointer sends you to her home, but she's not there. No, in fact, what they will do is send you to wherever she is currently, which is very good. Also, as far as the AI goes, I'm going to give you a little sort of vague tip if you do the Dark Brotherhood quests like you should. Normally, when you kill a guard, you get a bounty. But if an NPC gets the killing blow on a guard, then you don't get that bounty, no matter how much damage you did to the guard. So that will come in very handy during the Dark Brotherhood quest, so bear that in mind and see if you can use that to your advantage. Finally, as far as the world goes, it is sort of annoying that all of the characters still continue to treat you like uh, shit, even though you've just saved the world. People will walk up to you and say, what do you want? Which seems a little bit less than respectful to a person who saved your ass and your stupid home and family. On to the story. There are particularly cynical people out there who will point out that the quests in Oblivion aren't really all that different from quests in any other RPG, and they certainly have a point. There is a lot of just taking one item from one place to the next, or going and killing a lot of things. But, you know, that's really breaking it down to the absolutely simplest way you can look at it. And by that reasoning, then, all of Lord of the Rings is just one big FedEx quest. You know, take the ring to this guy. The end. 
it really, you shouldn't look at it that way. The story is really what it's all about. And as far as the storytelling goes, it's actually really executed quite well. Even the ones that are just basically about going and killing stuff or, you know, taking one item to somewhere else are actually generally fairly well done. And the backstory is good enough that it doesn't seem as tedious as it would in World of Warcraft or EverQuest 2. Like I said, some stories are better than others. The Dark Brotherhood quests basically all revolve around killing people, but they are, in my opinion, the best quests in terms of actually sort of being interesting and compelling. The Thieves Guild 1 isn't bad, especially the later on quests in the guild. The main quest is okay, uh, it's worth doing, the ending is kind of nice. The Fighters Guild and Mages Guild haven't really been all that compelling to me, and they don't really seem to have much of a story, although I haven't finished them so I can't say for sure. If you want the story ones, definitely the Dark Brotherhood and the main quest. So to wrap it up, the final verdict on Elder Scrolls IV Oblivion, three raised eyebrows. Go out and buy it immediately. So there.